Hey, I'm Kevin Burke, 93 Dizzy Dean World Series champion. My eight-year-old team won 50 games last year, and I have so many rings and trophies, I can't even keep up with them all. Wait, you're saying nobody cares? That that That's not going to get my kid to the big leagues? All right, all right. Let's talk about what really matters. Welcome to the Elbow Up Youth Baseball Podcast. First-hand and real-time experience, stories, advice, and lessons learned. Some the hard way by me, a former player, lifelong fan, and now dad and coach. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Elbow Up Youth Baseball Podcast. I'm Kevin Burke, and I am extremely excited to talk today about how we can take a better approach to weekend tournaments and just our schedule in general um, on the youth select and travel ball circuit. So I put out a episode last Friday that has turned out to be the most listened to and viewed episode so far. I think there's been something crazy like almost 40,000 downloads. And um, in addition to my email list, right, so you go to getelbowup.com, you put in your email and I'll send you a a note every time I publish either an article or a podcast. Um, I also go to various groups on Facebook and I share when I post one. And uh, it's been unbelievable. I think the at last check, there were well over 2,000 comments, over 500 shares. Um, for the most part, I think people agreed with at least the premise of what I was saying. There were some that disagreed just by looking at the headline, and then there were some that even once they read or listened to, they also maybe agreed in principle with a few things or disagreed in principle with a few things. Um, but I think the most important piece of this is getting that conversation started. If I just get a coach or a parent to think about it differently, then I'll call that a success. So it was supposed to be a, a two-part series. The first part was going to identify the problem, and then the second part was going to was going to talk about the solution. But after getting some feedback, I wanted to record a second episode that talked about the issue a little bit deeper and clarified a few things from the first episode. So this is the third episode, and It's really the response. Um, I talk a lot about concepts and theories, and I think that's good because it's important. But at the end of the day, you know, when the rubber meets the road, what are we going to do about it? And I get that a lot. Well, that sounds great, but what can I do? So today I want to talk about that. Um, Just to clarify, though, one last time, I did not say that weekend tournaments themselves are ruining youth baseball. I said they are ruining youth baseball player development. Um, the thing is, it's not really just the tournaments. It's how we as parents and coaches are doing it. And remember, there are exceptions. However, we're all at risk of falling into this trap. I went into detail in the first two parts. And if you missed those, you can hit pause. Um, and whether you're listening to this on a podcast player or you want to go to getelbowup.com, you can see the previous two episodes um, on there. But just real quick, I'll recap the high points the issue, right? So first, coaches and parents chase the wins instead of the development, long-term development. And what happens is you play six games every weekend and you're forced to make coaching decisions uh, based on the win of that one game and not what's best for my team long-term. 
Uh, young players are not yet ready for this type of baseball. Uh, there's a, there's lots of reasons. Again, I went into some details. Um, also, high costs keep many from being able to play. So we play every single weekend in these tournaments, and these tournament fees are super high. And we got to travel, and we got to spend all this money. And a lot of players aren't able to do that because their families cannot afford it. And I think that's unfortunate um, because it keeps uh, players or athletes who might be good ball players and enjoy the game out of it. Also, I think the week-after-week grind monopolizes time. You know, it keeps us away from family time. It keeps us away from other activities that will be healthy for our kids and their development. Um, Being good and winning doesn't always equal development. I think there's a misunderstanding that, oh, my team's really good to the best around, so we're doing it right. And that's not always the case. Um, And it, it takes some kind of inventorying of yourself to say, is that what's happening here or not? Also, it's not like any other level of baseball. No other level of baseball plays six games in two days and then takes a week off or practices once, maybe twice. Um, It doesn't allow for the kids at the young ages, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, to experience game situations and then come back and practice it because they're experiencing so many game situations, we can't work on them all. Uh, And we can't perfect the ones that we need to before we move to the next. Um, And then... I would say not the last thing, but the one of the last things I talked about was kids don't get to learn how to be baseball players. And again, that kind of goes back to the first one around. We make a lot of coaching decisions based on winning, right? And so we don't get to move guys around and let them experience the game and learn it a little bit like maybe on the job training, which I think is important for kids to figure things out themselves. So that's the issue. Now, How do we avoid these? How can we do things differently so that we don't experience those things, right? I've got a few ideas and I could talk about this for days, but for now, I'm going to break this up into two sections. What I like to call one, the strategic, and then two, the tactical approach. Now, first, the strategic approach or the philosophical approach. This is really your mental approach. What is your philosophy as a parent and or a coach? Literally, how you think and approach the season, the games, the practices, the ups and the downs, this would be your culture that you have on your team or in your own house. To figure out what your approach is, and more importantly, what, might, what maybe it should be, ask yourself and then answer these questions. And if you want to see these in written form, again, just go to getelbowup.com. Uh, the title of the post is A Better Approach to Weekend Tournaments, and um, it'll be probably the first one you see, unless you're hearing this later, and then you can search for it. But ask yourself, what are your goals? I covered this on a, one of my very first uh, episodes where I literally talked about, uh, I had this major gut check, and I won't go into that here, but I recorded an episode on it, and I got really good feedback, and a lot of you thought the same way or felt the same way or kind of had that moment, that gut check moment. But what are your goals? Why are you doing this? Also, is winning going to be your priority? What about development? Where does that fall into the priority list? How about fun? Where does that fall? You've got, pri- you've got winning, development, and fun. All three are important but kind of where do they fall in your priority list? Ask yourself that, write it down. Next, what do we want to get out of all of this time, energy, effort, and money? We spend a lot of time on the ball fields. We spend a lot of money on the ball fields. We put a lot of energy and effort into this. What do we want to get out of that? And then 
would I rather be the best team now or have my team and players ready for later? And when I say later, maybe it's three months down the road, right? Do I want to win that game in April or do I want to really be hitting my stride in, in June or when my kid's 12 or getting ready to go into middle school? So it's important to think about those, but write down the answers, like with a pen and paper, talk about them as a family, as, as a coaching staff. If you're a coach, talk about those with your team and parents. Those are all questions, and we're going to talk about this on another episode sometime, but as a parent, what should you be looking at for a team and an organization? And I would want to know the answer to every one of those questions before I signed up. Talking about this will help with accountability as well as you move into the tactical approach that I'm going to talk about in a minute, which is by far the hardest. So after you've answered those, you can even drill down a little further and and ask yourself some of these questions. These are more specific. Am I okay with a team loss as long as we're getting better? Now, that's a tough one because you're going to say, oh, yeah. And then you get out there on Saturday afternoon and you're faced with making a decision and, 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 and it gets real. Next, will I sacrifice the arm safety of my best pitcher if I get into a situation where not pitching him might cost me the game? I see that one all the time. Every single one of you is going to say no, but I promise you I see it every single weekend. I even see it from good coaches or uh, guys that I know that are good people that have no bad intention. The third one is, am I willing to put the same amount of energy into practice as the games? If you're not, you're, you're, you're in the wrong business. Games are fun. Games are exciting. They can be fulfilling. But if you're not willing as a coach or even a parent to put the same emphasis and energy into those practices, then you probably don't need to do that and let somebody else do it. And the last question is, am I willing to not follow the crowd? This happens in a lot of things, right? But chasing winning, chasing playing in different tournaments, chasing the rings, chasing um, everything. But am I willing to do what's right and not follow the crowd? So most of us, when asked all those questions, say the right things. I hear it all the time. Oh, yeah, I'm 100% about development. I want to teach the game. I want to ensure my kids are having fun, staying safe. Winning's great, but it's not the most important thing. And I've been there, done that. I do it today. I say all those things. And even now, it's hard for me in the moment. And I'm not perfect. Like even today, somebody commented on one of my posts and says, well, do you really practice what you preach? And the answer was yes and no. I try to. I think I do more than I don't. But I'm human and I make mistakes and I get caught up in it. Right? This is where the tactical approach comes in. And this is where most of us run into trouble. It's always easier said than done. So assuming you answered those above questions correctly, (laughs) here are some practical things you can do to escape the weekend rat race and avoid being lured into doing things detrimental to long-term development for your kids and team. First, be intentional with your schedule. This one sounds easy, but again, it can get out of control quickly because rain and weather get in the way. A great tournament just opened up. These other teams are in it. There's two areas of focus here, though, when you're thinking about your schedule. One is frequency, and two is purpose. So let's talk about frequency. I'm not going to recommend a hard and fast rule on the frequency at which you should play in weekend tournaments. Just keep it balanced. It's okay to play two or three in a row. 
What I'm against is playing seven in a row and never having enough time to practice. You need to allow enough time for rest and practice before, after, and in between tournaments. You've got arm health, burnout, cost. You've got to have enough practice time to actually work on things that you're experiencing. You know, there is no substitute for game experience when it comes to certain things. But if you don't ever take a break and kind of debrief, decompress, work on what you saw, you, you know, you may get better. I, I absolutely somebody that plays every single weekend is going to be better than somebody who never plays. I, I truly think you can't just hit off a tee. And I think that's what some people think I'm talking about here. N- don't ever play in tournaments. That's not what I'm saying. It's got to be balanced. You've got to be able to get the game experience and then work on some things and get the game experience and work on some things. So often teams practices aren't focused on team practice. They're geared towards individual work, most of which can and probably should be done away from the team. I know it's hard, and everybody doesn't have seven nights a week to do baseball. But you really need to be, especially as you get older, you need to be working on things that people cannot work on individually. I can work on hitting with my son. You know, even if I get creative, maybe I don't have an indoor cage. But listen to some of the all-time, I mean, Tony Gwynn talks about hitting balled-up socks with a broomstick. And that's not an exaggeration. You don't have to have a 60-foot cage, 70-foot cage undercover to practice. You can hit off a, of a tee into a net. You can do soft toss, front toss. You can do wiffle balls. There's lots of, th- of ways that you can get re- individual reps, but it's very difficult to work on turning two at second base. It's very difficult to work on bunt coverages. It's very difficult to work on base running. It's very difficult to work on outfield plays and relays individually right you got to have the team together and those are the things that I think you should be focusing on at practice not let's go everybody and hit BP for an hour and then we'll take some ground balls that's not going to be the most productive use of your time so the other risk here is being lured into the fear of missing out right fight that urge to join a tournament on a on a week that you've scheduled off just because all the other teams are playing in it or because maybe they got cool trophies or rings, okay? So the first thing when it comes to being intentional with your schedule is frequency. The second thing is purpose. Now, this one is definitely harder than frequency. It's easy to make a schedule and it's probably, you know, you could stick to it. But let's talk about putting development over winning. But again, I'll say I love to win and I don't know about you, but I want to develop winners in the game of life. So it's okay to want to and, and try to win. And, and matter of fact, I do that. I want you to do that. We should play to win every time we step on the field. I just think we can be selective in choosing when we sacrifice that potential chance to win for the greater cause of player and team development. I'm going to say that again. We should play to win every time we step on the field. I just think we can be selective in choosing when we sacrifice the potential chance to win for the greater cause of player and team development. We can still pitch our sixth best pitcher and try to win. We can have our third string second baseman in the game and try to win. We can move our batting order around and try to win. We just have to be realistic with our expectations going in and then be okay. This is the hard part. Be okay with the potential short-term pain, long-term gain outcome. 
we may miss out on the gold bracket, but guess what? I got all those guys really valuable experience for five innings. So that ring that I would have gotten that said gold would be forgotten about in a week. I'll be able to use this game experience the next week and the next week and the next week when I actually need it. So here's what I recommend. Pick a few tournaments that have more competitive teams, higher team entry fees, cooler awards. Maybe they're fur- maybe it's further away, it's a bigger tournament. And put your best team on the field. Short of sacrificing arm health and player safety, go ahead and do what you can to win. Put your best guys out there and say, we're going to win this tournament. I won't sacrifice arm health. I won't sacrifice safety, but we're going to win this tournament. It may mean that the same guy plays shortstop the whole tournament. It may mean that you don't bring your outfielder in. It may mean that you substitute based on winning, and that's okay. But here comes that word balance again. Then pick a few tournaments with less competitive teams, lower entry fees closer in proximity to your home and take a slightly different approach. You're still going out to win every game. You're trying to win. You're, you, you, don't, you don't announce to the team, hey guys, we're going to move some th- guys around and it's okay if we don't win. That is not what you say. But you know and your coaches know and I hope that your parents know that you're still going to try to win but that you're okay with sticking to the plan even if the immediate outcome is not favorable. Doing this will not only boost the energy and like the you know the enjoyment of the kids who get to move around but you're going to be creating depth and a better chance of overall team development in the long run. I, I can tell you right now what we're what we're facing and what a lot of teams are facing is that uh, going into for example 9U and 10U you've got two or three maybe really good pitchers they were probably your shortstop too. And guess what they might be your best catcher but they can't play all three at the same time. So now I got to move maybe my second baseman over to short well who do I put at second or my third baseman's my catcher now who do I put at third you've got to focus on developing these kids not just for their own sake down the road but for your team I think it should be like spring training where the first month or two of your season the first three or four tournaments is honestly just out there getting back into the swing of it because you want to be hitting your stride in the in the, in June July August You've got experience. Guys aren't coming in at the last minute to play a position they've never seen before because you've already done it. Be picky when you do that. You can do it intentionally. Again, it's, go- it's not going to be easy. It means you're okay with missing that gold bracket by one run or two runs or three runs or maybe even a loss in order to get a few kids some innings on the mound. It may mean risking a few errors in the infield so that you, you know, your backup second baseman can get some meaningful game experience. I cannot stress enough how important and valuable this game experience is. I talked about it a little bit ago. But imagine, and this happens all the time. It's happened with us. It's happened with you. Little Johnny, who plays outfield almost every game, he gets a few ground balls in practice, but he never sees any experience in the game. And so he's not going to help you out much when you need an infielder. He needs the experience, and he needs it more than one inning. You know, hey, we're up by a bunch of runs. Let's bring this guy in for one inning. I mean, that's good. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but that's not going to accomplish the getting the experience where he can develop some comfort of the position, the role, understand the situations. Think about it. Put yourself in a nine-year-old's shoes who has never really seen much game experience in the infield. All of a sudden, he finds himself at second base with runners on first and second. He's got you as the coach yelling at him to move in 
move out, in and out, keep that runner close. Then the ball is hit to, to right center. Where does he go? Is he the cutoff? Does he cover second? may sound simple because you worked on it in practice, right? But when you've got all these things happening, he's nervous. He's got, you know, 75 people in the stands watching him, cheering. The other team's cheering and, and yelling. The guy's saying run. He knows all of this is happening in the back of his mind. He's got four coaches plus parents, however many parents, telling him where to go, what he should do. And then guess what? When he does not do the right thing because he's never been in the situation, the coach gets onto him in front of those same 75 people and parents. Do you think he wants another opportunity? Do you think he wants to be able to play there? I'm not talking about 16-year-old guys who should be okay with that. I'm talking about 8, 9, 10-year-old kids who are not comfortable. They don't want that. How terrible is that? So find some of these tournaments and commit to developing your, your quote, second and third string guy. I don't really like that terminology at this age, but your second or third or fourth guy, get them meaningful game experience. Imagine how much good that's going to do for both them and the team three months from now. Because you're going to find yourself in a tournament later in the year where things don't go as planned. You're going to have an injury. Your ace is going to be off and he's going to get hit. We, this happened to us in the fall. It was our first time pitching. We weren't super deep. We got a lot of guys that can, quote, pitch, but it was still early, and we knew who we felt like we could count on. And, you know, one of our top two guys, he got hit. He wasn't wild. It's just we ran into a, a team that knew how to hit and didn't, they weren't scared of the, of the velocity. What do we do then? You know, and we moved some guys around and I don't remember the details, but, you know, they weren't ready. And that's OK. Like it was early. It was in the fall. But this year we have to focus on that and we have to be intentional when when scheduling our tournaments. The last thing I'll say on being intentional is this has to be something that parents are, are aware of and OK with this. They have to have buy in. Because the last thing you want is, is the parents talking, oh my gosh, and that will happen. This is tough. And so parents, if you're listening to this, I would encourage you to not only be this way, but talk to other parents. Always consider there's a, there's a bigger reason. I can't believe that coach didn't make that change. Well, you don't know what he was thinking. You don't know what the plan is for the next game. You don't know why he did that. And coaches, it's not that you necessarily owe it to the parents to explain everything you do. That's not what I'm saying. But they need to understand that there will be times where you're all in to win and you put your best nine on the field and you make decisions to do that. And then there's going to be other times when maybe you have other motives. And at the end of the day, the greater good for the team and the player is at play. And I'm not trying to be funny here, but think about it. What's the worst thing that can happen? You play four games in two days and go home. Your kids need to learn how to lose. It's a whole nother episode. You got to learn how to win. You got to learn how to lose because life will throw both at you and you have to be able to handle it. So I don't know about you, but if I go out with my son and his friends and we play four games in two days and we don't make that next round of the bracket because we chose to develop, but we had fun and we learned that's a win. That's a win. That's not a win at 16, guys, when we're paying $3,000 or $5,000 or $10,000 a year. 
But that's a win at 9U and 10U when I'm trying to develop my team and my players. All right, so after we're intentional with our scheduling, we're going to consider league play. Now, this is something that does exist in some parts of the country, but not in others, although it is becoming more mainstream in, in more areas. Now, you may say, wait a minute, league play? So, for example, in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I'm at, you either have rec ball, which is what I would consider a league, and then they have an all-star team, or you have, quote, select ball at the younger ages. That's it. So there's nothing in between. Now, I know in other parts of the, of the country, I talk to people who maybe they're on a select team, but then during the week they play at their local Little League park on another team, and the park allows it. There's other areas, and Chattanooga is actually starting this apparently this year. Uh, I think it's having trouble getting some legs, but they're actually like the local Dizzy Dean parks are going to have, quote, select or open leagues where you can bring your team and play in a league. So it's getting there. It can be fun to play in those multi-game tournaments on the weekend, and as I've said, I'm okay with that every once in a while, but the structure of them forces coaches to make decisions based on more than just winning that game or development. Playing in a local or regional league with teams of similar skill level can help balance this. Why not every other weekend play a league game or two? Or once every other week, play in a league game. However it's structured, however your area allows, that would allow coaches to focus on that game alone. To use the earlier example, your team may be up by 12 runs in a tournament and little Johnny, who is your seventh best pitcher, is finally going to get some innings. He gives up a couple runs and so you have to make a pitching change. Not because you're afraid to lose that 12-run lead, but because you're worried about not giving up too many runs and making the next bracket. If you play in single games like this, it eliminates those conditions that might lure us into making short-term decisions. In that example, little Johnny really needs those reps. So does your team. He also needs to experience some adversity so you as a coach can see how he reacts. Right now, if you're in certain areas, no, no leagues exist. And you're like, well, I can't do that. That's all there is. I hear that all the time. Well, there, that's, that's it. Tournament's all there is. Well, why do we have to accept that? Start your own league or series. In fact, I've talked to our head coach about this. What's stopping us from just hosting our own round robin once a month? We invite a couple of other teams we split the cost of a field and umpires. We play each team once on a Saturday. No rings, no trophies, just good old baseball. What's the downside to that? I honestly cannot think of one. What's the upside? Well, how about you aren't making poor coaching decisions based on bracket play? You get a less pressure situation to move some guys around. You actually get to pick who you play. How many times have you gone to a tournament and you make a, you get a bad draw, right? And it could go either way. Oh, I get the best team. We're going to get killed. Or, oh, my gosh, this team can't even. We actually tried to play up in a 10U tournament in the fall. So here we are, 8U, playing in 9U fall. We play a 10U tournament because we want to play better competition. And we get a team that just shouldn't have been on the field with us. And that's I'm not making fun of them. But but we, we paid this money and went to this tournament and we won like 22 to nothing, and they, it was all walks because they couldn't throw strikes. I felt so bad for that team. But we didn't get anything out of it either. 
You might even be able to talk to those coaches and use this as a development moment, right? It's a JV game. <laughs> I don't even mind using that term. It's a JV game, guys. Let's talk about it before. This is a no-brainer to me. When my brother, who I've talked about a lot, was coming up and he was playing select ball at like 16 and 17, right? 15, 16, 17. There was a local program. At the time, there was only like one or two really big programs right in the area. And that's what they did. I think they called it the Southeastern Championship Series or something. But he, the, the, the owner of that program kind of did it himself. Like this weekend they did it in Chattanooga. Next weekend or two weeks from now they did it in Knoxville. And the next time they did it in Birmingham. It was the same teams. And it was like a league almost, kind of a series. Why can't we do that? If you have a reason why we should not do that, and I'm not saying every weekend, but mix it up. Play in a big-time tournament this weekend and next weekend do a round-robin where you play two games on Saturday. Guess what? You got more out of it. You still had fun. You learned something. And now you got all day Sunday. You go to church, hang out with your family. Even the kids can get together and go play. You know, whatever you want to do. This is a no-brainer to me, guys. So you schedule intentionally, and then you find a league or you somewhat make up one on your own by playing in round robins or just individual games or double headers, you save gate money. I mean, you pay for the, the umpire and possibly the field. Nobody around here is doing this. And I, I, I can't seem to understand why. The upside is huge. The downside risk is very little. Now, I could talk about this for hours, but I got to wrap this up. I'm getting long as usual. Uh, the third thing is... And this may sound like a no-brainer, but, but very few do it. Think about practices differently. While the structure of tournaments may be more difficult to change or not in your control, we should at least focus on what we can control. And you can control 100% what you spend your practice time on. The hard part about practice is balancing the individual versus the team needs. And that's not going to be easy, and it's probably not something you'll perfect unless you are a tenured coach, maybe you've coached at a higher level. It's super hard for dads who haven't been a coach to do this. There's tons of resources. Maybe we can follow up with another episode on that. But the younger the kids, the harder it's going to be for them to work on their own at home. I get it. But it's a must if you want to get better and you want them to get better. There are only so many minutes I get as a coach with my team during the week, and I have to make sure and get the most out of it. Kids can hit, throw, field ground balls, and work on many, many more individual skills on their own away from team practice, but they cannot work on the team stuff alone. Be sure to take notes every game. I'm not saying write a book, but take notes of situational type things. Take note of anything you think you might want to work on later. Then debrief. This doesn't have to be like a formal thing. We as coaches, we'll, we've got like a group text and we'll talk about it. I would debrief and then rank those issues with your coaches because you're going to have, <laughs> chances are you're going to have too many that you, and you can't work on them all in a practice, right? But rank them in order of importance and then choose carefully what you're going to do at the next practice based on that importance as well as what might give your team the most bang for the buck or the time? It might be situational. It might actually be individual. If you had nine fielding errors in one game or two games, you know, maybe fielding ground balls, 
Maybe you do work on that. There's a way to do that, though. I wouldn't, I wouldn't line nine people up and hit them infield and outfield. Be specific and be intentional. If your team was confused when the other team bunted with a runner on second and they had never really seen that before, I'd probably work on it. Make sure they, you know how to call that play and make sure you simulate it, work on it over and over and over. I would rather learn one or two big team things a week, baseball things a week, than to go out there and spend my time, everybody taking a bunch of hacks and some ground balls and calling it a day. That's fun, but we're not really getting much out of it. Chances are the kids aren't even getting enough reps to really be that impactful. So focus on a couple of big things that you can do better and that you can see immediate. I guarantee if you work on something like that for 30 minutes, the next week if you see that same situation, your team will know it. They'll be ready. That's just one example. Rarely use team practice time for batting practice. We've done this. Everybody's done this. I'm, I'm not holier than thou again. But if you want to spend time running through hitting stations, maybe I can get behind that. Uh, but it's very, very hard with one or two practices a week to take team batting practice on the field and it be a good use of your time. It's just it's there's not much that you get out of it. I would say the risk of what you don't get out of not doing the other things outweighs the the upside potential. And then when you throw live pitching in there, you know, it does make sense logically that, okay, if we're having trouble hitting, let's get a live pitcher and then we'll do live. And there's there's time for that, but especially younger, they, you know, the pitcher struggles to throw strikes and the batter gets discouraged and, and, and it takes forever. And then meanwhile, everybody's sitting out there picking flowers. If you really want to hit, which you should, have one coach throw BP in a cage during the practice, rotating kids one by one, or have you know three or four hitting stations that you that you you know, split them up into two or three uh, groups of two or three, and then it's pretty fast paced, and they get a lot of different reps. That's that's okay. I'm not saying you disregard hitting, but you've got to spend the time on the on teaching the game and learning new things to be ready to go again the next week or the next tournament. Plan your practices, every single minute of them. Have a reason for everything. Have a plan. Talk about it and then go execute it. Now, in conclusion, I've gone long on this one, but I think it's important to go through these things. We could talk about each of these for hours and I could probably add three more things. I was trying to find what three things could you do immediately. These are three big things that you can literally do right now, take action on to make an impact and help your player, your team, and your family get the most out of this season immediately. This isn't a conceptual, well, yeah, that sounds good. These are three things that you personally can go do and that I personally can go do. If you have specific questions or would like me to go deeper on one of these, please ask. I love getting the feedback. Um, If you're getting this in an email, just hit the reply button and it'll come right back to me. Or um, if you think others might wanna see, just hit the button, on the article. So go to getelbowup.com and at the bottom it'll say leave a comment and you can just ask your question, leave a comment. You can tell me how you agree or disagree. And I'm sure this will get shared somewhere on Facebook and other places. I'd love to hear your feedback. But at the end of the day, we can make a difference here. This isn't a, well, that's just how it is. I hear that a lot. And I think when it comes to how we deal with tournaments, there is a better approach, right? So we can still play in them. We can still have fun. We want to win but we got to take a little bit different approach. I do apologize for the sound difference there. I thought I was recording on my external microphone and somehow it got switched over to the computer mic. So 
know that sounded a little bit different with maybe some background noise, but I really appreciate you listening. This one has gone long. This has been a really fun um, series to talk about. Also, I just appreciate all the shares. If you know somebody that you think would like to hear this or like to read this, please send them to getelbowup.com and they can put in their email address and I'll notify them every time there's a new uh, episode or article. Also, if it's easier, just pull it up on Apple iTunes or podcasts or whatever it is, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcasting app is, we should be there. Uh, leave a comment, leave a, a, a five-star rating. I really appreciate it. It really helps us. And um, I will talk to you next time. Thanks a lot. <laughs>